people that take the time to uh, not only choose the right songs or choose the songs that just lead us into the presence of the Lord. We're in Isaiah chapter 54 tonight. We have been going through the book of Isaiah. We stopped or started about four months ago, and we are almost done. We'll probably be done about a month or so. This is the um, second longest book in the whole Old Testament or in the whole Bible. It is 66 chapters long. It is a mirror of the Bible. It is a microcosm of the Bible. You have the first 39 uh, chapters mirroring the Old Testament. And now we are in the last 29 chapters, or 27 chapters, excuse me, 27 chapters which mirror the New Testament. And of course, last week we ended with Isaiah 53, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the servant, the one who comes and obeys uh, the will of the Father. In 54, we take this um, cry, as it says, Sing, O barren, you who have not borne. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child, for more are to the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants shall inherit the nations. And make the desolate cities inhabited. And do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. And neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth. And will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you are, were refused, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Let us pray. So, Father, uh, tonight it truly is a privilege to be able to open up your word and to read maybe these chapters that we've read for the very first time in our lives, these more obscure chapters in the book of Isaiah. I ask that you would speak to us clearly and help us to see those, those phrases, those verses that we'll recognize. I mean, just, just like all of a sudden we'll, we'll recognize that verse, whether it's from a song we've heard or or from a, a, just a, a quote from someone, and we'll say, oh, well, that's where it's at. We thank you for the, the amazing wording of the Bible and the perfect way you bring it all together to fruition. And Lord, tonight, as I, I, I'm so grateful for these that have taken time out of their busy schedules to come here, uh, the, those that have chosen to be here tonight. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege of worshiping you with my brothers and sisters who just want to come and be refreshed themselves. And so, Lord, I ask that you would um, freely move in our midst tonight. We, we, we thank you so much for our pastoral staff, for, 
where Jason and Mike Atkinson and, and Mike uh, Butler and Mike uh, Cosper and especially Mike Ostheimer, Lord, we ask that you put his, your healing hand upon his life, that you would calm those, uh, that coughing that he has, Lord, his sore throat, his lungs. And Lord, I ask that you'd give our pastors wisdom in leading uh, this church, our elders, Larry and Ron, that you would just uh, continue to give them a clear vision for our church, Lord. We thank you so much for those that you have blessed us with on our staff that serve so faithfully behind the scenes that no one ever sees, Lord. I ask you bless them tonight. And Lord, I ask you bless these, my friends and my family here, uh, that, that, you know, um, whether it's the, the World Series or something they, they can be watching or doing right now, that they have instead chosen to be here. Lord, I ask you bless them for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. The book of Isaiah is one of those uh, books, and you've heard me repeat this several times, and the reason why we have to repeat this over and over again, because it is such a huge book. And it's easy to forget, you know, especially when you're, you know, close to the end, and, and you you know, have to remember back four months ago or, or you know, 54 chapters ago to uh, what it was like at the very beginning. You see, the book of Isaiah started off with the holy, holy, holiness of God. God high and lifted up his train of his robe is literally filling the temple. It is shaking and is quaking. And Isaiah cries out, oh, woe is me. I'm a man undone. As he stands before the holiness of God. And then in chapters seven and nine, we find that that same holy God is going to come to the earth in the form of a babe born of a virgin. That that same uh, God is going to come uh, to the earth to save humanity, not as a king, not as a prince, but as a servant. The one who is willing to give up his rights his authority so that he can come to the earth and die for you and me. And last week we saw that amazing chapters, the 52 and 53, that describe in, in, in great detail the death of the Messiah. The, the one who would come and be whipped for our sin. Who would be scourged and beaten for us. Who would be pierced for our sins who would die a painful death that wasn't even invented at the time of the writing. And yet he would die for you and for me so that we could have holy, 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 righteous lives. That, that we would take our sins, put it upon his body on the cross, and we ourselves would receive his righteousness. The privilege of knowing a holy holy uh, God, and then being able to come into his very uh, presence. It is truly a privilege. Tonight, we're going to be talking about inheritance. Now, this may, you know, stir up within your mind, maybe, maybe someone you've heard, or maybe even yourself. But what has to ha happen in order for someone to inherit something? Something must happen. What must happen in order for someone to inherit things? Someone has to die. Do you understand that? 
that someone has to die. Maybe it's your dad or your mom or, or maybe luckily an, an aunt or an uncle or maybe a grandma or grandpa who put you in their wheel, right? Or maybe, if you're really lucky, a friend, right? Yeah, oh, I knew that person. Maybe they put me in their will. But how did you get that inheritance? They have to die. Someone must die. Do you understand that you also will inherit something much greater than anything here on the earth? Something much greater than, you know, maybe a boat or a car or a house or money. You see, <clears throat> the Messiah had to die so that we can inherit eternal life. So that we could spend eternity in heaven with him in mansions. That he is specifically designed for you and me in heaven forever and ever. Where you walk through those pearly gates. Literally a single pearl carved out into a gate. Where, where the walls are beautiful jewels. And the streets as you know are paved with transparent gold. Where, where you see that tree of life that literally produces a different fruit every single month. And then to know that you get to be in the presence of God forever and ever because everything else will be nothing if he's not there. The privilege of understanding heaven is that someone had to die for us to inherit it. And so as we walk through these chapters tonight, we're going to see this word inheritance repeated. It's repeated in this eight-verse section uh, here. And it's specifically, it's talking about the Israelites inheriting the land. But the understanding is that in order to inherit what they are getting, people had to die for the inheritance. People had to fight. People had to take that land. In fact, in verse 54, or chapter 54, verse 1, we read again, Sing, O barren, you who are not born, break forth into singing, cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says uh, the Lord. Remember Abraham and Sarai, or Abram and Sarai. How old were they when God called them to leave their land? They were already old. You know that, right? In fact, Abram was already 60 years old. Retirement age. That's when God called him to leave his land. Sarai was 10 years younger, approximately 50 years old. It wasn't until Abram, 40 years later, was 100 years old that he had his child, his firstborn son, Isaac. Through the promise of Sarai. Now, of course, 13 years earlier, he had, you know, had another son. Uh, but the promised son that was born there, that God had foretold, would come through Sarai. The promised one. When did that take place? The age of 100. And that means that Sarai was 90 years old. A barren woman till the age of 90. Can you imagine that? 
I mean, just, just you know, uh, you know, a miracle wonder, by the way. Uh, you know, the, this picture of having this old lady who, who wasn't even able to bear for 90 years, and then at the age of 90, she's able to have a child. The, the promise of the barren having a child. And then Isaac, of course, the same thing. He, he you know, finds his wife through his, his servant. Uh, and, and then, of course, Rebecca comes. And then they have two children. And then after that, Jacob marries Leah and then Rachel. And then they have 12 children. And they become now the nation or the tribes of Israel. The barren has... A child. Verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left. And your descendants shall inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. That promised land that was given specifically to the Israelites as an inheritance. What was the promised land called, by the way? A land flowing with milk and honey. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, and neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. After that long, barren time period, what happens when the baby is born? The 90 years before, what did it feel like? Nothing. Why? Because what's the focus now? The baby. The baby. They've tried over and over and over and over again. And finally, what happens? That barren woman now has a baby. And what does the past feel like? Gone. Over so quickly. And who made that happen? The one who created the womb. The one who created human beings. The one who created procreation. The one who created life itself. Who can bring about the healing of those without children? Our God does. But even in a better sense, in verses six through seven or six through eight here, we find that not only does God, does God do that in a physical sense, but He does it in a spiritual sense as well. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercy I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness. I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. You see, the picture here is that the discipline of God will seem like a short time compared to his eternal mercy and grace. This time here on the earth, whether you live 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, what is that in comparison to eternity? Nothing. A drop in the bucket minuscule, just a, a second in the scheme of eternity, our human lives. Do you understand that God uses this life to refine us, to bear 
beautiful fruit for heaven itself. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, it describes this really well. Looking back onto this chapter, Isaiah 54, it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. All the things that you've experienced in this life, the hardships, the trials, the troubles of this life, they will feel like a snap or a blink or just a moment in time compared to eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 4:18 it says, "While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen, those things here on this earth are what? Temporary. But the things which are seen are eternal. The easy way to picture this is the virtual versus the real. Do you understand that, you know, many, many people nowadays use real money for virtual things? That they use real money, thing that they've maybe gotten as a, an allowance or even earned themselves, and now they use it for something that's virtual. How easy is it for something virtual to disappear? Loss of power. Someone flips the wrong switch, and what happens to the virtual? It's gone. It's so temporary compared to the things that we have here in this earth. Now compare the things that we have here in this earth to the scheme of eternity. And the comparison is even greater, by the way. The, the, the amount of difference is even greater than the virtual and what we call real today. You see, the things that are here on this earth, the things that we treasure, what will happen to them in the scheme of eternity? They will rust. They will fade. Something new will come out and you'll want it. That thing that you once, you know, sold everything for or tried to work so hard for will no longer look pretty because you'll want the next thing, right? It's always the things of this world that are so fleeting. But what will happen in eternity? You won't want anything new because you already got the best. You already got the best. God is specifically going to give you the best. Continues on in Isaiah 54. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth. So have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Those mountains, those hills, those rocks, all, all the things that we say are in thousands and thousands of years, what are they like compared to the promises of God? Again, temporary. They, Oh yes, they may look like they've been around forever and ever, but in the scheme of creation, how long have they been here? Again, for a moment, compared to eternity, the sun, the moon, all of creation itself. 
that have lasted a lot longer than us, that have been around a lot longer than us. But again, in the scheme of eternity, how long have they lasted? A moment, a snap, a blink of the eye in the scheme of eternity. Compared to the promises of God, his promises are eternal. Verse 11, O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundation with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Jesus said right before he left this earth, I go to prepare a place for you. Specifically designed for us. And how long will those places last? Those mansions last? Heaven in all of eternity last? Will there be any rust in heaven? No. Will there be any decay in heaven? No. Will there be any boredom in heaven? No. Everything will always be new. It will be fresh every single um, moment. It says here in verse 14, In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the spoiler to destroy. Why does God discipline, refine, and prune here on the earth? Well, why does God allow you to go through problems here on the earth? Why, why doesn't he just after, you know, you're saved, everything is honky-dory. Everything is perfect after you're saved, right? Is that true? No. Why, why does God discipline us between now and the time that we die? You see, he's making you more and more like himself. He refines us just like the blacksmith here. Does a blacksmith take a, a hunk of metal and just, you know, throw it in the fire and pop it into a mold and then just make it into a, a weapon? What would happen to that weapon? It would crack the first time it's used. See, it has to be refined. It has to be tempered. It has to be mixed with the right alloys. It has to be made in such a way where it is strong. And what does that require? Heat, refining, something that has to be beaten and mixed, something that has to be refined, or a, a vineyard or a rose bush or something that you want to grow. What do you have to do to that plant to make it strong? You have to prune it. The New Testament describes this so well, where a vine that has dead branches, what should you do to that vine? You have to prune it. And the same thing with us. We have to be pruned. All those dead things in our life have to be cut off. 
Can, can you imagine the vine? Can, can you imagine that grape plant driving up, you know, the grape vine, as we call it, seeing all those plantations, all those vineyards? What happens every single year to every single one of those plants? After they're harvested, what happens? They're pruned literally all the way to the bulb. Put yourself in the situation of that plant. You're cutting too close. That's too close. Yeah, that hurts. You get closer and closer. That, that pruning hook or that pruning, pruning shears, that person who is pruning that plant, and now all that's left is that big, huge hunk of, you know, knob right there. But what is the purpose of doing that? What happens the next season? An amazing production of sweet fruit. But what if all that dead branches had been left on? What would have happened? The energy would have gone to those dead branches. It would be split between the new branches and the dead branches. The produce would not be as sweet. There would not be as much fruit the next season. Because the energy of the plant is now into the dead. Those things that hinder it. And it's the same thing with us. What does God do? And you see the illustration. You know it. He has to remove those dead things from our life. He has to remove the sin from our life. He has to remove those things that it may feel like, oh God, you're, you're pruning me too close. Don't, don't take that part out of my life. But what does the good vine dresser, God himself, know? Just like a good blacksmith know. That it has to be refined. That it has to be pruned. See, in John chapter 15, verses 1 and, true, 1 and 2, it says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Who's the one that prunes the vine? God himself. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Literally, this means lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. By the way, the more good fruit you bear the more he prunes. That's scary. You want me to look more and more like you, God? As he's clipping away the things from your life that are hindering you from the walk of God, from the service of God. Or as it continues to say that it may bear more fruits. This should be the goal of every single Christian. Or as Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 says, But you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Now take it from an inanimate piece of metal or, or a, you know, a plant that has no soul to a person, a human being, a little baby. What happens if that baby is never disciplined in its entire life? What will it look like? We're not allowed to say in our PC society. 
But what happens? They become spoiled. They lack discipline. They are unrefined, right? There's no substance in their life. In fact, as it says here, my son, do not despise the chasing of God. Now taking it to me personally, taking it from the, you know, the, the illustration or the hypothetical to now me. Oh, it's easy for me to say, oh, they need to discipline their kid. But what about for me? Just like when you read the Proverbs, you're never supposed to say, how does this help my wife? Or how does this help my husband? Or how does this help my friend? No. What should be the question when you read the Proverbs is when we read it about a year ago. How does this affect me? How, how can this change my life? Because it's so easy to apply, oh, that person needs all the correction of God. When I need to look at myself and say, I need, I need <clears throat> to be disciplined. I need to be refined. It says, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. Why? And this is the amazing thing. And I hope you truly understand this. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Why is he disciplining you? Because he loves you and he wants the best for you. He wants you to get uh, better and he scourges every son whom he receives. Verse 17 of chapter 54 of Isaiah, it says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Now you've probably heard that phrase before and you've wondered where in the Bible is that? This is the only time you see that phrase in the whole Bible. We hear it in songs all the time. We hear it quoted many, many times. But you are here tonight missing the World Series and listening to this verse. Isn't that an amazing thing? No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn everything that comes against you. Why? Because I know that God has refined me. Your weapon is strong. It won't break when it hits. The sword of the Spirit, the hammer of the Word of God is strong. Why? Because you had to deal with the problems and discipline and God has strengthened your life. So when you go have to deal with the problems of this world, maybe a problem that you've never had to deal with before, you can know that God has solved those problems, helped you through the troubles of the past, and he can help you through this problem too. Why? Not because of something we've done, but because what God has done for us. Is God faithful? Yes, he is. And here's this word again. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. The inheritance. The inheritance of the children of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. What is the blessing of knowing that God disciplines? There'll be a great inheritance. For those that are his. This should truly make us excited, by the way. Isaiah chapter 55. And again, these are very quick chapters. Uh, just uh, 15 verses, six, 17 verses each. They're really quick to go through. 
It says, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what is not satisfied? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Immediately going to the woman at the well. Jesus refers to the same exact illustration and says of himself, come to me, all you that thirst. Why? Because he will give you what you desire. And will you ever have to pay for it? Not with money, no. In fact, who was the one that had to pay for that living water? Jesus Christ himself. Verse 3, incline your ear and come to me. Here your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you, because the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. This word nation here literally means the Gentiles. Anyone who is not a Jew, anyone who doesn't even have a drop of Jewish blood in it, will also get to inherit the promises. You see, this was the promise that again goes all the way back to Abraham. What will he be to the world, to the nations, to the Gentiles? A blessing. Through the Israelite nation will come a blessing to the Gentiles. By the way, are you grateful? Because I know I don't have any Jewish blood in me as far as I know. I'm a Gentile. And then the privilege of knowing that God also offers it not just to a single nation or a single people group, but to the world as well. Every single tribe, every single tongue, every single nation represented in heaven. Those that have been called, those that come to hear the word of God, even the Gentiles will hear. And by the way, they will come running, as it says here. They will come running. Verse 7, or 6, 7, and 8, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now, where have you heard that? Again, in Isaiah 55. This amazing verse that describes the uniqueness of who God is. On Wednesday mornings, we've been going through the book of Micah. And it ends with this beautiful phrase, who is like our God? The definition of Micah's name. There was no one like our God. And by the way, you know, just, just read uh, Micah chapter 7. The end of the chapter is absolutely amazing. Who is like our God? A God who forgives sin. Unique because none of the other gods forgive sin. They require you to do something. They require you to sacrifice something. And most of them were very, very bloody in their sacrifices, even requiring the death of their own children sometimes. 
And then at the appeasement of these gods, you had to somehow do these impossible things. Would my God ever accept me again? But the God of Israel, the God of the universe, the one who makes and creates everything, he's different. Micah chapter 7, it says that he buries our sins into the deepest ocean. He separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. He forgives us of all, every single one of them, and he doesn't remember them anymore. Aren't you grateful for that? Oh, yeah. I know I am. In fact, again, if you read Psalms 103, it describes it this way, echoing again uh, verse 9, the very next verse there. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And thank God for that. Where can our thoughts run to? The gutter. Or even to vengeful thoughts, or even to hateful thoughts, or even to those thoughts that we would never utter ourselves, because it would betray who we are internally. But thank God that he always, always thinks good of us. Again, read Psalms 103. Chapter 55, verses 10 through 13, it says this, But as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth the bud and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the way for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy, be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Again, a verse that you probably even heard sung before. In this obscure section of Isaiah chapter 55. All these amazing phrases in a part of the Bible that very few people have even opened up and read. The privilege of knowing that every single thing that God says will never return void. There's always a purpose for it. When you come to church, when you hear the word of God, whether it's a Sunday, whether it's a Monday night, or whether it's a Wednesday night, or whether it's a Friday night, or throughout the week, whether it's listening to something that's from a, a, a service on a, on a streaming or whatever it is, to know that the word of God never never returns void. That the time that you dedicate to that, the listening of the word of God or the reading of the word of God or the studying of the word of God, it will always refresh you. It will always help you grow. Oh, maybe not at that time, but maybe in the future when God brings those verses back to your mind and says, see, see, that time wasn't in vain. And blesses you uh, for it. In fact, as it says in verse 12, it'll give you joy. It'll give you peace. 
It'll bring you verse 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. Those things that give life. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name. For an everlasting sign. That shall not be cut off. God will bring to remembrance the word of God. At the perfect time. And by the way, these trees that are listed here, the cypress and the myrtle, uh, these are trees that grow natively in Israel. And they also grow one other place in the world. They grow here in California. Uh, If you go up the coast, you know, whether it's uh, Oregon or Northern California, myrtle trees grow there. Because it has the same climate as Israel. Same thing with cypress trees, that, that, you know, those trees that have that that, um, smell. That, that smells fresh, right? As you drive down the road. These trees that are long growing. A myrtle tree has very, very dense uh, wood. Because it takes so long to grow. Those, you know, bowls or those utensils that are made out of myrtle wood are made to last Unlike the thorns or the bushes or the shrubs. Because what happens to those things that maybe it's a, a bookmark or a, a bowl or a, a piece of, uh, of, you know, a salad spoon or whatever it may be. Something that is long lasting rather than something that burns up and is used so quickly. The word of God is strong. It lasts. In fact, God will use the worst of creation for his glory and he will glorify himself through those things that are eternal. The word of God in your life, the word of God in my life, it will never return void. Isaiah chapter 56, it continues on. It says, thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for my salvation is about to come. My righteousness is to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Uh, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people, nor let the eunuchs say, here am I, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, to those who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give to my in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What is the promise here? The the privilege of knowing that when we keep that covenant with God, when we have that relationship with God that's depicted here as the Sabbath. And by the way, it's commitment. It's a commitment to come, whether it's on Sundays or or Monday nights or Wednesdays or Wednesday mornings or throughout the week. It, It takes time. It's a commitment to come. Does God see your commitment to him? Every single time. Does God see what you do in his name? Now, unfortunately, many times, what do we do when we come to church? I got to do that. 
I'd rather be doing this or that, right? It's, it's that check mark that we do. Well, I, I, I obeyed God this week and I went to church. It's the religious thing to do, right? I, I shook a couple of hands and then I went home, right? But do you understand that God sees the heart of those that even as it says here, of those that are uh, unbarren or, or those that have gone through hard things in this life, the eunuchs or those that have gone through horrific things in their life, God will bless them. In fact, what does he give to every single person that knows him and has that commitment to him, that makes that covenant with him? What does it say? And I will give them an everlasting name. To know that my name is written on his hands, graven on his hands. To know that the righteous acts of the saints literally make up that beautiful dress that is the bride in heaven itself. The deeds of the church, the beauty of what God has done through us. It's always closely associated with righteousness and justice. Or verse 6 here, it continues on. Also the sons of the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to serve him. To love the name of the Lord. To be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast his covenant. Every single time, these are always joined together. It's not just coming to church. It's not just coming to a building. It's not just going to a service. There's a covenant involved. The privilege of knowing every time we take communion together. In our church, we do it on the, the first Sunday and the first Wednesday of the month. What, what, what are you reminding yourself of every single time you take communion? Of the covenant. The new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is truly a privilege not something that we could ever or we should ever take for granted. Verse 7, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. That zeal that Jesus Christ had for the house of God when he saw those money changers, the people selling their wares, the people cheating the people that were coming to worship God and what it was the cry of Jesus Christ's heart in that moment. Don't make my house a den of thieves. Instead, what should it be called? A house of prayer. The privilege of knowing that we have the opportunity to talk to God at any uh, time. He is zealous for those that want to talk to him. That want to have communion with him. We should desire that for ourselves. Verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather him beside or others beside those who are gathered to him. Not only should we be committed to the God's house, we should also be committed to prayer as well. You see, when we come and we gather together, have you ever asked another person, how can I pray for you? Maybe after all those, you know, the questions that break the ice, what do you do? What's your name? Those kind of things. 
Have you ever asked another person, and, and you know, it's a safe place to do it, by the way. How can I pray for you? And just right there, right then, pray for that person. It shows a little bit of vulnerability. You can do it. It's the privilege of knowing that you don't have to come to the pastor to pray for you. You can pray to God. You can talk to God. Every single one of us can. We can put our hands on another person and say, how can I pray for you? Verse 9, 10, and 11, all you beasts of the field come to devour. All you beasts in the forest, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs, which never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his own gain from his own territory. Come, one says, I will bring wine and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow we will be as today. And much more abundant. The contrast here is to those that spend their time in the house of God. And those that spend their times on worthless things. And again, just like Kat was saying, she was preaching to the choir because you're here. You know, and just like the signs that we see nowadays, you know, those that show up. Don't criticize them. Why? Because they're there. The privilege of encouraging you because you actually show up. You actually come. Now, I, I, I understand that there's so many different things, you know, that, whether it's children or, or, or work or whatever, you know, all those things that, that life has. But to know that we offer services throughout the week so that if your schedule is, you know, not too hard to come at night, you can come in the morning. Or if you can't come on Wednesdays or Sundays, you can come on a Monday night or a Friday night, right? There's so many different places or services that we can come to. And, and thank God for all those that work behind the scenes in those places, the various pastors that are uh, willing and able to be able to teach. Unfortunately, even the shepherds of Israel, this is what they're like. The leaders in Israel, what are they doing with their time? They're sleeping it away. They're slumbering it away. They're wasting it away. Oh, is it easy to do in our society today? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Chapter 57, verse 1. The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. But come here, the sons of sorcerers or sorceresses, you offspring of the adulterer and the harlot, whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make a wide mouth and stick out the tongue? Uh, are you not children of transgression, offspring of falsehood, inflaming yourselves with gods under every green tree, slaying the children in the valleys under the clefts of the rock? And just like what we read on Sunday in the book of Lamentations, as I walked you guys through, this is the PG version. Because literally, they're sleeping with the idols. Literally, they're exposing their nakedness to these idols. They're literally prostituting themselves out to these inanimate objects. Nothing is new under the sun, by the way. Again, in a virtual world, is it easy to do? 
Verse 6, among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion. They, they are your lot. Even to them you have poured a drink offering. You have offered a grain offering. Should I receive comfort in these? On a lofty and high mountain you have set your bed. Even there you went up to offer sacrifice. Again, this is the, the, the clean version of what they're doing. Also behind the doors and their posts they have set up your remembrance. For you have uncovered yourselves to those other than me and have gone up to them you have enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them you have loved their bed where you saw their nudity by the way this is the new king james version yes that word is in there you went to the king with ointment and increased your perfumes you sent your messengers far off and even descended to shoal you are wearied in the length of your way yet you do not did not say there is no hope. You have found the life of your hand. Therefore, you were not grieved. I challenge you, read the book of Hosea. First three chapters. The description there is so graphic. Of someone who has to be faithful to someone that has literally slept with every single guy in town. And then accept her back. And then buy her back. And then provide for and forgive her. And that isn't even close to what God has done for us. That isn't even close to what God has done for you and for me. You see, we are the ones that have been unfaithful. And God has always been faithful to us and always accepts us back. But rather, what have they done instead of grieving over their sin? They're proud of it. They brag about it. They flaunt it. Again, is there anything new underneath the sun? Verses 11 through 13. And of whom have you been afraid or feared that you have lied and not remembered me, nor taken it to your heart? Is it not because I have held my peace from of old that you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness and your works for they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. But the wind will carry them all away. A breath will take them. But he who puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. What is our righteousness like? What is all the good things that we can do for other people or in this world like? The Bible describes it as filthy rags. Minstrel cloths. Things that are worthless, bloody, yucky. That's what our righteous deeds are like before God. If we do it for ourselves, if we do it for someone else, if we don't do it in the scheme of eternity, if I don't do it in the name of God, it's like filthy rags. But what happens, and this is the amazing way, the privilege of understanding the contrast between those that are proud of what they do for their own righteousness and those that are humble, those that give glory to God for what they've done. See, there's a difference. Because if I do something, and I can do exactly the same thing. I can, I can buy a meal for somebody. I can do something nice for I can help someone move or or I can take someone out to to lunch or dinner or whatever it is. I I can help someone in a in a good way. I can do exactly the same thing. And if I have the wrong motives behind it, what is it like? I'm just getting an attaboy or a pat on the back. And who gets all the praise? 
me. How long will that praise last? Just like that. But if I do it for the glory of God, if I, if I do it in the name of God, if I do it because God has asked me to do it, how long will that reward last? You know the answer. In an eternal reward. Verses 14 through 16, we'll be finishing up this chapter. It won't take us long. And one will say, heap it up, heap it up. Prepare the way. Take the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and the lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I will dwell in the high and the holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. Who is God looking for? What kind of people is God looking for? Not proud, not boastful, but humble. In fact, every single one of the following chapters, all the way through Isaiah 60, all the way up to 66, this word's going to be repeated over and over again. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry for the spirit which fail before me and the souls which I have made. Just a segue into Isaiah chapter 6. I, I know, I mean, you can wait a, a month, but I want to just share this amazing ending of the book of Isaiah. Just to spoil the ending here, it says, Isaiah 66, verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest for all those or all these things my hand has made? Everything on earth has already been made. You don't need to make anything for God. But what does he look for? This is the amazing thing, says the Lord. But on this one I will look. God is searching the earth for people like this, who is he searching the earth for? On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. The very first sermon that Jesus preaches. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those who are humble meek who is god looking for people that don't brag about themselves and instead point the glory to god last five verses here for the iniquity of his covetousness i was angry and struck him i hid and was angry and he went on backsliding in the way of his heart i have seen his ways and will heal him I will also lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord. And I will heal him. For, but the wicked are like the troubled sea, which it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. What are you looking for in this life? This is what it all comes down to. This is why Jesus came, just like what we talked about last week, to bring peace between God and man. Not, not a peace that is temporary or, or between nations or even people on this earth, but a peace that lasts forever and ever and ever. A, a peace between you and the God of the entire universe. And how long will that peace last? You know the answer. Forever and ever and ever. And so, Father, tonight as we 
we close, I ask that you would just uh, remind us of these chapters. And, and yes, there's, you know, a, a lot of verses here and, and, you know, it's impossible to remember everything. But help us to be able to maybe maybe tomorrow or maybe later on tonight or, or throughout this week to go over these verses again. Uh, to be comforted by the thought that you take care of us to such a degree that you spend time with us refining us. That, that you want to spend time with us talking to us. Uh, to remind us again to be humble and contrite. To, to acknowledge that everything depends upon you. Uh, that everything that we have in this world comes from you. That, that we should never brag about those things that we have supposedly done on our own. But point all the glory to you. To, to realize that that your joy goes on and on and on, that your peace goes on and on and on forever and ever and ever, and that we will be in eternity with you. Those that know you personally, that believe in you, and that most of all, that we can have communion with you forever and ever and ever, that the trials, the tribulations, the problems of this earth will again fade they will be as if they were just a, a moment in time. But eternity will last forever and ever and ever because we have it with you. And we thank you so much for that. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Lord, I ask you bless, bless these, my friends and my family tonight, that you would use us for your glory this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.